Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Let me kick things off with an apology for the current state of my voice. It's been a hell of a few weeks. It started off with our family vacation being delayed due to COVID running rampant through my entire household. While everyone thankfully made a full recovery, my voice clearly didn't get the memo. I didn't want to leave y'all hanging for another week after being gone for the past two, so here we are. Sorry, guys. With that being said, today I'll be covering the case of Linda Slayton in Lakeland, Florida. Let's get right to it. Thirty-one-year-old Linda Slayton was a single mom of two boys, Jeff and Tim. Her boys were her whole world, and Linda wasn't your average PTA mom. Oh no, she was much cooler than that. She was a free spirit who made her own custom clothes. She took her boys to concerts like Kiss and Van Halen. And not only did she take them to see the bands, she bought the boys matching t-shirts and then took them for professional photos wearing the shirts. While she and the boys didn't have much in the way of material things, Linda was always a present force in their lives and made average, ordinary life feel like an adventure. Linda Slayton was the very definition of a cool 80s mom. According to the Tampa Bay Times, in late August of 1981, Linda and the boys moved to an apartment at 303 North Brunel Parkway in Lakeland. They were in apartment number 31, which was a ground floor unit, and the setup couldn't have been more perfect. Linda's sister was also renting a unit at the complex, and Linda's parents lived within biking distance from the apartments. The boys could ride their bikes to visit their grandparents, and Linda could hang out with her sister whenever she wanted. Times were tough and Linda didn't have a car, but with this new apartment, that wouldn't be that big of an issue. September 3, 1981 was much like any other day for Linda and the boys. They were settling into the new apartment. The boys went to school and after school, both boys had football practice. 15-year-old Jeff went to practice after school and then came home. When he got there, there wasn't much to eat and coming from practice, he was hungry, so he hopped on his bike at about 5.30 p.m. and rode down to his grandparents' house. I mean, Grandma always has food. Meanwhile, Linda's youngest son, Tim, was picked up by Coach Joe, one of his football coaches, at about 5.50 p.m. and taken to practice at Winston Elementary. This was something that had happened before, since Linda didn't have a car. Joe happened to live nearby and would help get Tim to and from practice when he didn't have a ride. Sometime between 8 and 8.30 p.m., Coach Joe dropped Tim back off at the apartment. 
Tim ate dinner and he and Linda went to the next door neighbors to play cards. Jeff was still at his grandparents' house. He had been there for a few hours and it had gotten dark, so they brought him back at around 9.30 p.m. When he got back to the apartment, of course, neither his younger brother Tim or his mom were there. But about 30 minutes later at 10 p.m., Linda came home to check on Jeff and tell him that she and Tim were at the apartment right next door playing cards and they'd be home soon. Tim Slayton would later recall to the ledger that while he and his mom were at the neighbor's house playing cards, a pregnant woman at the get-together told Linda she could read palms. Intrigued, Linda allowed the woman to read her palm. As she read Linda's palm, she told her that she was going to have a short life. No one could have imagined at the time that Linda Slayton only had hours left to live. At roughly 11 p.m., Tim and Linda wrapped up their card game and returned home to their apartment. Once they got back, Tim went to his bedroom and went to sleep. Jeff was still up watching TV on the couch. Linda went into the kitchen, did a few dishes, and tidied up a bit before going to her bedroom for the night. Jeff watched as his mom went into her bedroom to head off to bed. He stayed up a bit longer and then turned the TV off and drifted off to sleep just after midnight. The boys slept peacefully through the night and awoke the next morning to chaos. According to court records obtained by the Tampa Bay Times, at approximately 8.30 a.m. the following morning on September 4, 1981, Linda's sister Judy, the one who also lived at the apartment complex, walked down to Linda's unit to see if Linda wanted to have coffee with her and chat. She knocked on the door, but there was no answer. She was just about to turn and walk back to her own apartment when she noticed that something was off. The screen on Linda's bedroom window was missing. This was South Florida, where mosquitoes are basically the state bird, and screens are very important. And besides, this was a brand new apartment. Something was definitely wrong. She walked over to Linda's bedroom window and peered inside. Nothing could have prepared her for the horror of what she saw. Her sister was lying on the bed with a wire hanger around her neck. Judy began to scream frantically, and a maintenance worker heard her cries and rushed over. The maintenance worker called 911 at approximately 8.35 a.m. Moments later, Lakeland police officers were dispatched to the scene. Linda's two sons awoke to police officers and learned that their mom had been murdered just feet away from them in the one place she should have been the most safe, and they hadn't heard a thing. Before the boys were rushed out of the apartment, Tim Slayton saw his mother lying on the bed, an image that burned into his mind and something so traumatic he didn't even speak of what he saw, even to his older brother Tim, until 18 years after Linda's brutal murder. The boys were taken from the apartment and the Lakeland police began their investigation. 31-year-old Linda Slayton was found on her bed with that wire hanger wrapped tightly around her neck. She was partially clothed. The dress she was wearing was pulled down from the top and up from the bottom. Her underwear and shoes were removed and found on the rug beneath her feet. 
it was clear that she had been violently sexually assaulted. While the assault had been brutal, there didn't appear to be any signs of a struggle in the bedroom other than the screen being removed from the window. Investigators documented the scene and gathered what evidence they could, including a partial palm print from the ledge of the windowsill. Officials believed whoever had done this to Linda had entered and exited through the window of her apartment, which was unlocked. Linda's body was taken to Lakeland General Hospital for autopsy. Assistant Medical Examiner Dr. Ramsey performed the exam. He confirmed what everyone already knew. Linda had been strangled to death and sexually assaulted three to four hours before her body had been found. Dr. Ramsey was able to collect DNA from the perpetrator from Linda's body. But it was 1981, and DNA was in its infancy. The Combined DNA Index System, better known as CODIS, wasn't even a thing yet. That wouldn't begin for roughly another nine years, and the system wouldn't become fully operational, according to justice.gov, until 1998. They had a partial print, they had the DNA, but they didn't have the capability to compare it to anything. It appeared they did know the importance because it was collected and properly stored. Investigators interviewed Tim and Jeff, who didn't have much information to give since they were sound asleep. They talked with Judy, the maintenance man, the neighbors, but no one had heard or seen anything out of the ordinary. Investigators even interviewed Joe, the football coach, since he had given Tim a ride home that evening. Joe told them he had only met Linda one time, that evening when he had dropped him off. He said Linda had walked outside and thanked him for bringing her boy home. Their interaction was brief, according to Joe, and nothing about it stood out, just a parent thanking a coach for helping out. Linda had a boyfriend and an ex-husband at the time, and detectives tracked both of them down as well, but they each claimed they knew nothing about what had happened or who would want to harm Linda. Detectives soon hit a brick wall. Linda had no known enemies, and nobody had seen anything unusual or strange. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months, and months into years, with no progress on Linda's case. Her two boys were raised by her parents right there in Lakeland, and everyone did the best they could to pick up the pieces and move on. But that's much easier said than done, especially for Jeff and Tim. They missed their mom. Every holiday, there was an empty chair. Every milestone, their number one cheerleader and the woman who loved them more than anything in the world was gone. And her killer was still out there. Linda's sons recalled to the ledger that they were always looking over their shoulders, wondering who had taken their mother from them. Was it someone they knew? Someone they trusted? Someone they still had interactions with? And why? Why would anyone kill Linda? Everyone who knew her loved her. There were so many unanswered questions. Even as the years passed and they became adults with careers, their own homes, and children, it was always there at the surface. The fear and trauma of their mother's murder. Both men searching their own homes when they first arrived to make sure no one was there. 
Jeff reporting to the ledger that he still slept with a light on and a gun next to his bed. They never had peace. Their mother's killer was still out there, and police had exhausted every lead and were still seemingly no closer to catching Linda's killer than they had been on that September day in 1981. But Jeff and Tim didn't give up. Even as 10, 20, and then 30 years passed, they reached out to media outlets to speak about their mom's unsolved case. They stayed in contact with the detectives assigned to her case, frequently stopping by the Lakeland Police Department and asking for updates. Investigators hadn't given up either and had traveled to other states to track down leads, interviewed and re-interviewed persons of interest, and eventually submitted the DNA collected from Linda's body through CODIS. Unfortunately, there wasn't a match. But through it all, Tim and Jeff kept hope alive that one day justice would be served. According to a press conference by the Lakeland Police Department, over the years, more than 20 detectives worked on Linda's case. And those detectives knew Jeff and Tim well. Even as some of them retired, they remained in contact with the brothers and actively worked Linda's case with the new detectives. One of those investigators was Brad Grice, who actually went bowling with Jeff Slayton every Monday night. Detective Grice made such an impact on Jeff's life that Jeff named his son after him as a tribute to the man who wanted nothing more than to bring Linda's killer to justice. In 2016, Jeff and Tim spoke to the ledger on the 35th anniversary of Linda's murder, asking for anyone with information to come forward revealing their frustration that even with DNA evidence, their mother's case remained unsolved. The brothers told the outlet that they still had hope, but as the years passed, doubts that they would see the day Linda's killer was captured crept in. Jeff stating, Sometimes I get worried, I'll take my last breath and die without knowing. But that wouldn't happen, because in January of 2017, Linda Slayton's case landed on the desk of Lakeland's cold case homicide detective, Tammy Hathcock. Detective Hathcock began reviewing Linda's case. She and her team pored over police reports, interviews, and every piece of evidence, but again, it seemed every lead was a dead end. That was until a phone call in November of 2018 changed everything. On November 20, 2018, Detective Hathcock got a call from Lori Napolitano from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Napolitano was calling different agencies around the state of Florida to inform them about a relatively new DNA technology, genetic genealogy. Napolitano asked if Detective Hathcock was interested in submitting the DNA collected in Linda's case to Parabon Nano Labs for further testing. Of course, Detective Hathcock jumped at the opportunity. But before we get there, let's talk about Parabon Nano Labs and the hero that is C.C. Moore for just a hot minute. The use of genetic genealogy to solve crimes exploded onto the scene in the spring of 2018, when according to CNN, Paul Holes and a team of investigators used GEDmatch a public DNA database, along with the assistance of genetic genealogist 
Barbara Ray Venter to capture the Golden State Killer. This, of course, was huge and opened a new world of possibilities for investigators. According to the Gadsden Times, weeks after the arrest of Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer, C.C. Moore was hired at Parabon as chief genetic genealogist, and Parabon began using genetic genealogy to solve crimes. WTHR News reported in April of 2022 that C.C. Moore has helped solve more than 200 cases in her four years at Parabon, which is roughly about a case a week. Cece herself spoke to the outlet and stated, My fastest case was 30 minutes where I was able to identify a victim of a violent crime. And then I have cases I've been working on for almost four years. Cece Moore and Parabon Labs have revolutionized genetic genealogy when it comes to forensics. Sorry, I just had to fangirl there for a moment. Let's get back to the story. On December 4, 2018, the Lakeland police sent the DNA from Linda's homicide to Parabon for that testing. According to a press conference held by the Lakeland police, genealogists at Parabon uploaded the DNA recovered and compared it with DNA from the two public databases that are accessible to law enforcement, GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA. A list of relationship matches or those who shared familial DNA with the unknown suspect was made, and Parabon was able to generate a list of suspects. That list of suspects was compared with those who had a relationship with or access to Linda Slayton. On June 5th of 2019, Parabon had a report ready for detectives, and that report contained the name of who they suspected had murdered Linda. The report read in part, Joseph Mills should be strongly considered due to the fact that genetic connections were found to both sides of his family tree, and he was living in close proximity to the scene of the crime in 1981. Joseph Mills was a name detectives were familiar with, although he had never been a blip on the radar as far as suspects went. Who the hell was Joseph Mills? Y'all remember Coach Joe, right? The helpful coach who frequently gave Tim Slayton rides home from football practice and had the evening before the murder. Coach Joe was Joseph Clinton Mills. He was now well into his 50s, but back in 1981 was just a 20-year-old football coach who lived nearby the Slaytons. He had no criminal record and seemingly no motive to want to harm the mom of one of his players. In fact, Coach Joe had continued to give Tim Slayton rides to and from football practice for months after the murder. Almost 40 years had passed, but investigators finally had a name. However, the investigation wasn't over just yet. With nothing to go on other than a possible genetic genealogy match, they needed a sample of Mills' own DNA to confirm what they now suspected. Mills' DNA wasn't on file because he still didn't have much in the way of a criminal record. There was an arrest back in 1984 for grand theft, but that was it. His prints were on file, but the print found at the scene was only a partial palm print, 
and no match was found when it was ran through the system. Investigators needed to get their hands on Mill's DNA, but they didn't want to tip him off until they were sure. So they did things the old-fashioned way, with some good detective work. According to the Tampa Tribune, they went to Facebook looking for clues and learned from a photograph Mills had posted in 2013 that he had a colostomy bag. They also learned that Mills had never left the area and was currently living on Bailey Road right there in Lakeland. He was married with children and had led a pretty unassuming life all these years, hiding in plain sight. Detectives began monitoring the trash collected from Mills' residence and a couple surrounding houses. Due to the way the trash was collected, they'd have to sift through it and find something they were sure belonged to Mills. Operation Trash began on July 29th, and it wasn't long before investigators knew they had several pieces of trash that were definitely Mills. They had obtained two cotton swabs, two adhesive patches from colostomy bags, and a plastic spoon. The Lakeland Police Crime Lab sent these items to the FDLE Crime Lab. Technicians at the FDLE Crime Lab were able to extract DNA from the adhesive patches and compare it to the DNA found on Linda's body, and on August 9, 2019, FDLE reported that a match had been made. Investigators went a step further and manually compared the partial palm print found on the windowsill with prints taken from Mills when he was arrested for that grand theft back in 1984, and bingo, another match. Mills was brought in for questioning. He initially told detectives he didn't have a relationship with Linda and had never been in her apartment. He repeated the story he had told all the way back in 1981 that when he dropped him off after practice, Linda had come outside and briefly thanked him for giving her son a ride, and that was it. DNA was collected from Mills himself, this time with a warrant, and it would later come back as a match as well. We're three for three if you're keeping track. Police brought Mills back in for questioning approximately a week after that last interview. But this time, he had a whole nother story. This time, he told police that when he dropped him off, Linda invited him to her home for a, quote, good time. He left but returned the following morning and crawled through the unlocked bedroom window, at which point Linda asked him to have wild sex. According to Mills, Linda already had a wire hanger around her neck as she lay on the bed. Mills stated he twisted the wire hanger around her neck tighter and tighter during sex. At some point, Linda lost consciousness and he left her unconscious and crawled back out the bedroom window. He then claimed he didn't know that she had died until he was contacted by detectives. This new story made about as much sense as a screen door on a submarine, but it was his lie and detectives let him tell it. But of course, they didn't believe it. I could rip that story apart line by bullshit line, but I'm sure you've already done so, so I won't waste my breath. 
38 years after Linda Slayton's murder, Joseph Clinton Mills was arrested on December 12, 2019, and charged with sexual battery, first-degree murder, burglary with assault, and two counts of perjury. Not long after the arrest, a press conference was held detailing the nearly 40-year investigation and Mills' arrest. Police Chief Ruben Garcia credited the hard work of more than 20 detectives who had worked on Linda's case over the years, Paraben Labs, and those who assisted at the FDLE. And last, but certainly not least, Linda's two sons, Jeff and Tim, who never gave up. At one point, Chief Garcia turned to Jeff and Tim and said, We never forgot about your mother. The chief reinforced his commitment to use whatever means necessary to solve the unsolved crimes in his jurisdiction. Jeff and Tim also spoke, publicly thanking the Lakeland Police Department and everyone involved in solving their mom's case for their dedication. Jeff stated that he considered a lot of the detectives that worked the case his friends. When asked about the man who murdered their mother, they both expressed that they were shocked. Tim stated, He was the last person on my brain I thought was going to do it. He was never on the radar. He went on to say, I trusted this man. He'd take me home after games in practice. Our mom trusted him. Tim revealed that months after Mills had brutally murdered his mom, he had ridden alone with the football coach to and from practices, a fact that haunted him. The brothers spoke about their mom, recalling that she was always there for them, describing her as a great mom who never met a stranger and was nice to everyone. You could hear the love in their voices as they spoke about their mother, but also the heartbreak of having to grow up without her and the fear that they lived with for decades with her killer on the loose. Jeff and Tim encouraged other families facing similar circumstances to never give up and to stay involved with their loved one's case. Joseph Clinton Mills initially pled not guilty in Linda Slayton's murder. Linda's sons, family, and officials began to prepare for a trial. The state announced that they were seeking the death penalty. Not long after that announcement was made, Mills changed his plea. Everyone gathered in a Polk County courtroom on February 9, 2022 for Mills to formally enter a plea of guilty to first-degree murder, sexual battery, burglary with assault, and two counts of perjury. When asked about this sudden change, Mills didn't take responsibility for his actions, and his attorney stated, he changed his plea because it was in his best interest to do so. The courtroom was packed and emotions ran high, with several of Linda Slayton's family members addressing the monster who had taken her away from them. Jeff Slayton confronted Mills, asking one question repeatedly. Why? Jeff screamed, Why, Joe? Why'd you take my mama? Mills sat expressionless and offered no explanation. Jeff continued, I hate you. You can't die and burn in hell fast enough for me. I don't know why you can't tell me why. 
Why'd you have to murder my mama? The pain in Jeff's voice was overwhelming and heartbreaking. But again, Mills showed no emotion and said nothing. Tim also faced Mills and said, I saw the crime scene. I saw what you did. And then you act like my friend. I rode in the car with you. He continued, I hope when you're in prison, things happen to you. Bad things. Linda's sister Judy addressed the now-admitted killer and asked, Joe, how could you do that? Do you have any soul? Do you have any remorse? And again, Mills sat there as spineless as a sea cucumber and said nothing. Other family members, including Linda's grandchildren, spoke. Grandchildren who never got the opportunity to know their loving and free-spirited grandmother because of the coward that sat before them. Surprise, surprise, Mills had nothing to say to Linda's grandchildren either. But he did address Judge Kevin Abdani. And when he addressed the judge, this piece of shit took zero responsibility, offered no apology, showed no remorse, and took the opportunity to defend none other than himself, stating in part, I am a good person. I'm not that person they're painting me out to be. I literally have no words. There is only rage. Judge Abdani sentenced Mills to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Joseph Clinton Mills will spend the rest of his life in a Florida prison and from now until the day he drops dead, be known as inmate number 356174. At the time of this recording, he is currently being housed at the West Unit Reception and Medical Center in Lake Butler, Florida. Linda Patterson Slayton will live on through her two sons and all of those who knew and loved her. She will forever be remembered as the mom who made everyday life an adventure, a mom who took her boys to rock concerts and out with her to play cards, a beautiful soul who never met a stranger and extended kindness to everyone who crossed her path. A woman whose story still gives hope to families seeking justice with a simple message, don't ever give up. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. I'll also post a link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.